everyone. Welcome back or welcome to an all new episode of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckis. This week's guest is Mike Wander. Mike is currently the new partnership sales leader at Saster. After being an avid runner in his teens, Mike decided to take his talents to the Marines, where he served for five years in various roles as a targeting and intelligence specialist prior to jumping into the sales world. At Saster, Mike closed 1 million plus in closed one business in his first 90 days alone. In this week's episode, we discuss breaking big goals down into small goals, how Mike had to grow up fast, his advice for any kid navigating divorce, how you're more than your number, taking a chance on yourself, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Mike Wander. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? Mike, I'm, I'm so pumped. I know we're, we're just a couple weeks post-Saster. I know I have not I have not gone to Saster. I know you are the new partnership sales leader over there. Um, just before we jump into the, the typical show of, of diving into the career background and the history, would love to just get your 10,000 foot feedback on how was Saster 2022 and what are you most excited about for the, for the next year, just in reflection right now? Yeah, it was great. Um, but again, like I, I say, is it's not our team or it's not Saster that makes Saster what it is. It's our partners and all of our attendees. Uh, 10,000 foot, we had you know 10,000 people, a little over 10,000 people who came, which was amazing. Uh, tons of brain dates, tons of connections that were given out. And ultimately, you know, just under 200 sponsors. And it was, it was a great time, three days of all the fun. And I think for 2023, what I'm looking forward to is just a bigger and better show. Oh, I love that, man. And, and let's just talk, because you just mentioned three days, right? So that means yep. if we're not talking about weekends, holidays, vacations, whatever, 363 days, 362 days, you are not at Saster. Just based upon some of your career experience and your history, like how do you focus so hard? And I know you haven't been at Saster for, you know, you've been at Saster for five months now, so you, this is your, your first go around. But yeah, how does the, even just from your general career experience, how do you focus so hard on the achievement of a goal 99.9% .9 of the time to really only excel or, or have that experience that 0 0.01 or whatever it is? What does that look like? Yeah, I, I think the best way to look at it is like as an athlete or like for me, like both as an athlete and as like being in the military. Um, it's that one event. It's the Super Bowl of SAS, right? Or like, for instance, it's like that one race. It's the one thing that you've been training all year for um, and that that's what you're going to excel at. And how you break it down is honestly just putting it into little pieces. And so you can't look at it from like a, we just did SAS annual. We're not going to have it until next September. You know what I mean? Like the 12th, 13th, and 14th that it is. You have to look at it as like, we have SAS annual, but in June we have Europa. We have some meetups that are in between and we have a lot of ground to cover and we're a small team, right? Like we're a team of 12 putting on an event for 10,000 plus people. And so like, it takes some focus, it takes some concentration, but luckily we have a great team and that's how we make it work. That's amazing. And that's pretty similar. I talked to um, Shantae Lowe, who was a, an ex-Olympic athlete. Um, she's a high jumper, I believe. And I asked her as well. I said, you only have the Olympics every four years. How do you focus on that long-term goal? Because that's a very long time, right? Uh, people could have four or five SAS jobs in that four uh, in that four-year span, and she or more. That. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the the thing that she mentioned was that she focuses on those mini events of hey, well, uh, you know, I have the uh, the Olympic trials at this point. I need to get there, or I need yep. to have these mini races in between. So really, just trying to set those micro goals. 
how does that go into, into your day-to-day planning as well? Like what kind of, what kind of micro goals do you have, or even how do you try to organize your day so that you're able to, um, to really achieve those micro goals over time leading up to that bigger goal? Yeah. So I always like to start from a top-down perspective on everything that I do. And so the overall goal, right, is a successful Saster annual. So how do we get there? Well, we have to fill the sponsorship slots, right? And like, we have to bring in attendees. And so like, I view that as two separate branches. Like, how do you bring in attendees? Well, you yourself have to be known as like Mike from Saster at some level, right? It's like building out my personal brand, making sure that I'm always there. Going on kind of gives you some, <laughs> yeah, podcast, right? Um, like gives you some little goals of like, okay, I'm at X amount of followers. Let's try to hit this many in this time. How do you do that? Will you post consistently different types of content, et cetera? And then on the other side of it, it's like sponsorships. How do I make sure I'm effectively building my pipeline so that one year from now, I have all of the things that I need put in place? Well, that one I like to break down month by month. I'm not big on like quarters, things like that. Like I don't ever do like end of the month pushes, end of the quarter pushes. I'm a big fan of front loading. And so for the first week to week and a half of every month, I really double down on the outbound side. And then I use the rest of my time to look at my pipeline, figure out how many long-term deals do I have? How many medium-term deals do I have, right? And then how many deals are just gonna go through? And then from there, it allows me to forecast, okay, my goal, right? My KPI, my daily activity is 10 emails a day. Well, do I need to double that and start hitting 20 again because I don't have enough long-term stuff? Or do I need to relax? I have a lot in the pipe. My follow-up might start degrading and then I need to take more time. And so I like to break it down like that. I love that. So it sounds like it's more like pipeline awareness or maybe even just outside of pipeline, just goal awareness of understanding what is that main goal and how are you going to break it out into those weekly, daily activities so you could really focus. I love that, man. Right. So I want to hear, uh, I don't know if this was the military that gave, that gave you that, that, that strict following of these goals, or if it was even before that. So let's dive backwards into, into early years of Mike. Tell us a little bit more about uh, who you were as a child and some of the time leading up to, um, to the Skyline Chili, where you were a leading uh, lead cashier and server. What, what was Mike like before that job and even as a child? Yeah, as a kid, man, I talked a lot. Right. Like if you were to talk to my, my sisters or, or my parents, they would probably say that I never stopped talking. Um, and I always like to tell stories. And sometimes like when I was a kid, apparently they were very ambitious uh, or I was some would say not true. And um, I think that was like obviously me very, very young. And then when I turned a little bit, I got a little bit older, I was in middle school and looking like, what do I want to do in high school? Um, I played a lot of sports. I was a very, very active kid. Um, I was always outside, always outside. And uh, to be honest, I think the best way to explain it was that my my home life, so like my parents were divorced, right? It didn't get along. Um, it was really bad. It was like, if, if I was at a sport event, like they couldn't even like be near each other or they would fight kind of thing. And so you have to like constantly decide like, what am I going to do? Am I going to talk to my mom first? Talk to my dad first? Like, how's this going to work? Right. And so inherently what that did is it, it created this environment where me and my sisters, we had to grow up faster. We had to grow up faster than most kids. So I like to say that like looking back, I didn't really get a chance to live um, like as a child. Like I, I had to like 
do everything that I needed to do, make sure that I was looking after myself and that like, <clears throat> I didn't feel guilty because my sisters were putting things on hold for me. And so I got lost in sports and like, that was my life. And so when I went into high school, um, it was like, go to school, <laughs> go to, go to my practice and then go to work, go to school, go to practice, go to work. Like you're going to make something of yourself. You have to be successful. And like, you are not going to end up just a sad, sorry sack of person. Right. right. And so, um, I think when, when I, when I became a freshman, I was deciding like, what do I want to do? Like what sports I want to play? Cause I play all these sports and I decided to run cross country and track, which I actually never did before. So it was a new sport, which no one expected me to do. And when I started, what, I, what, what really got me going was that strict regiment. Like everyone that I met was like, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go run two miles. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get off. This is the exact practice that I'm going to do. And it was like this perfect schedule. Right. And they always had this goal they were leading up to. And so I like clicked with them. I clicked with the mindset. And I liked the fact that you were an individual runner. Like you were an individual athlete, just kind of like in sales, you're an individual contributor putting in this grand scheme of things. So for instance, with cross country, you're a team of seven and you have to place with the lowest amount of score to win your race. So everyone has to do good themselves, but you also have to travel as a team. And so I think that's where like, long story short, I fell in love with running and I got attracted to like being a part of a team and working together. And then I blew out my knee and then I was like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna go to the Marine Corps. And so that's what left me into the military and kind of the path I'm on now. Wow, that's so amazing. And there, I already see all of these different comparisons of, of the, um, obviously the individual contributor or the individual athlete to the <laughs> contributor having to work together so that you could achieve that common goal. Um, it, but ultimately, and the, the other, and working together, acting as a team, but the one quick question as well, just on the uh, on the parenting divorce side of things, because there's a lot of people who are going through that, whether they're uh, yep. going through a divorce right now, or already have a divorce and have some kids, or maybe are even a, a child who had gone through a similar story. What is your best piece of advice um, as somebody who had gone through that? How to try to navigate some of some of, of those feelings and and or ultimately just uh, yeah, how do they navigate? Yeah, I think there's there's three pieces of advice I can give. Um... And this is all coming from a lens of a kid who had to do it, right? Had to deal with it as a parent, right? My first piece of advice would be to the parents who are getting divorced. And it would be, you you have to take a step back, look at yourself and understand that you brought somebody into the world and that regardless of how you as like a mom and a dad feel about each other anymore, it doesn't have to be that hard on the kid. Like it doesn't have to be that hard on your child. And whether it's, it, you just have to figure out what's going to be best and it's not going to be easy. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm here to say. Cause it wasn't easy for me, right? It was 16 years and eventually just court went on and on and on. I became 16 years old and I had to make a decision, right? Um, it's a waste of money. Like it's, it's, it's a waste of money. Like you just have to figure it out together. And it also makes your child in much less stress. So figure it out, take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And then I think as a, as a kid, if your parents are going through the divorce or like as a, even a teenager, right? Like it's still hard. You have to figure out a way to separate yourself from that because it's very quickly, like it's very easy to think, hey, my parents are getting divorced because of me or because of like, you try to find out what went wrong 
and inevitably you go down this path of like, well, they were perfect. And then I was born. Right. Like that's how I thought. And it, you have to like, understand that it's not because of you. Right. It's just because two people grow apart and that has nothing to do with you. It's very natural or one person did something bad and the other person decided to, or the other person did it and they just decided, Hey, I can't deal with it anymore. Right. It's not your fault. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And I'm, and I'm sorry that you had to go through all that and, and grow up so quickly, but there are, is some good with that because obviously you yep. turned out to be a, an incredible person. And obviously you're here to, to share these stories and, and, and shed that light as well. Now, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's my, my parents, like it's not their fault, right? Like if they went back and they could do it again, I'm sure they would do it different. But at the end of the day, you're right. Like I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have put myself through the things I had to put myself through because of that situation. And I would probably be much different. I'd probably be at college or still stuck, stuck in college debt, partying and figuring out my life. Right. No. And that's, that's a really important thing as well, Mike, thank you for, for sharing that as well. And I think it's a big lesson for everybody who's, who's out there, whether, whatever you're going through right now, like I have, I've always been a true believer of this, whether it's, it's a good time or your, 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 your things are going well, take those lessons and run with them. Or if it's not a good time, if there is some bad there's always going to be some, just remember that there's going to be some good that comes out of it. Find that good light and, and, and run with that as well, because you could have easily went down a really negative path as well from that. Oh, Mike. Yeah. And I'm sure there's probably situations where you, you've done something as a result of that. Um, and, and you're smiling here as well, but, yeah. but that's what it comes down to, right? The hard times you're, you need to be learning every single day. And that's a hard thing to do, but that's what you have to do. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, right. It's, it's friction. That's all it is. Life is such a beautiful, crazy mess is what I call it. And to be honest, I've learned so much and I, I feel like I'm a, like a 35 year old mind living in my body. Right. Like I feel like I have, I'm much older than, than I am. And I feel like I've learned so many more valuable experiences than, than what I would have not learned if I didn't do the things that I did, but that's what ultimately has made me into the person that I am today. And so for that, I'm forever thankful, but there's also some things like you said that you miss out on, right? Like there's, there's just inherently different things that you, you don't get to do that other people have done. Right. And now you could take those same lessons knowing what you had gone through and say, Hey, when I'm in that situation, I know how I will handle myself differently. So right there, you're taking what some of those negative outcomes were and trying to spin it more into a positive. Now let's talk yep. about separate. I know you mentioned you just separate yourself from the outcome. Essentially, that's a yep. big problem from what people are doing in sales as well, right? Everybody ties themselves to that outcome of if I don't hit my number, what's going on here? Or I lost this deal at the last minute. Was that my fault? Why did I do this? What's your best piece of advice from separating from the outcome and understanding that not every single factor, most factors are probably out of your control, but what are your yeah, thoughts? No, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like that's first and foremost. I, this is a random stat, right, right? By the way, but like I would say, ninety percent of things—don't <laughs> quote me—ninety percent of things are probably out of your control, right? And the first one that's out of your control is whether you get a reply or not. Okay, I've written some emails that I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. I'm just gonna email this person. Like I'm not feeling it right now. I probably won't get a reply, but I'll shoot it. Next thing you know, replies five minutes later. Then I write some emails and I'm like. This is the best email I've ever wrote in my entire <laughs> life. I'm feeling it. I'm high yeah. on caffeine. Like, this is it. And then you never get a reply. It's, it's like, that's out of your control. But this is what your mindset should be. It should be on the fact that you sent the email. You put in the output, 
right? You put in the output, you don't control the input. That input is on the end user. And so it's like, you just have to have to focus on the things that you can control, right? And so it's like, hey, if your meetings, if say your quota for the month, say your monthly quota and you're an SDR and you need 30 meetings a month, right? So essentially one a day. Okay, well, if you don't hit that and you start getting upset, which inherently most people probably would, you have to look back. Is Did you not hit that number because you didn't control the things you can control? Did you not hit your daily outputs? Or did you do everything how you were supposed to do, but the world, the universe just didn't fall in your favor? Right. That's fine. Like a big part of sales is really just timing and luck. Like it is. I don't care how good of a salesperson you are. Timing and luck is going to be your best friend because you could be the best salesperson in the world, but if they're not ready, it's, if it's not the right time, guess what? <laughs> doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, sure. You might leave a, you might leave a, a good apple and later on when they're looking for something, they, they might come to you. But at the end of the day, like there's just some things that you can't control. And so they say it all the time, but you're more than your number, right? Like you're a person, you're not just your quota. Your quota is a number, but you're, you're definitely more than that. Yeah, and one of the big things that uh, that Ian Koniak uh, shared with me, I know he, he's a, a good mentor and just an awesome person in the sales community, focused really hard on focusing on your outputs and not your outcomes. And, and one of the big things yeah. there as well is that if you could step back, and, and I say this on a number of different podcasts because I think it, it's something that I try to continually tell myself, is that if you could, at the end of the day, look in the mirror and say, I did everything that I could do today. I left everything on the field. I ran as hard as I could in this cross country race and I lost. There's nothing else that I could have done. Then what else is there to do, right? We still get so focused and so, I don't want to say butthurt, but I, like, it, yeah. it's, it's really tough. Yeah, it's, it's uh, right. Like it's, it's inherent to just human nature. There's always what's next, right? What's next? What, what else can I do? Even if say you flip the script, your, your quota is a million dollars. You hit a million dollars and say you did it in four months. Well, are you happy? Probably. Sure. But I guarantee you're asking yourself, well, what else can I do? How much more can I do? What's that next number? And so the next step for you is taking a step back before you take that step and recognizing what you just did. Because what you just did has not been done before, probably by yourself. I don't care how many people run five minute miles, right? My first time ever breaking five minutes in the mile, right? I had to take a step back and think, I just did that. Like, I just did that. And that's for me. And you have to own that win and be happy with yourself and what you just did, or else you're never going to be happy. It's the same thing with relationships. Like, what's a successful relationship? Well, if you don't love yourself, you're probably not going to know how to love anybody else. Right. Right. That kind of goes into the divorce thing. But in sales, if you don't appreciate the fact that you've done everything you can do, then you're never going to be happy ever in your career. doesn't matter what company you're at. doesn't matter how much you go over your quota. doesn't matter how much money you make. You have to take a step back before you take that step forward and appreciate what you just did. It's all about celebrating the little wins. We can't just look every single month or every single quarter and say, hey, is this binary of did I do this or did I not do this? There's so much that adds up and, and, and it kind of goes along to uh, how you look at your goals and how just how everything was of what is what are all those little micro wins that add up 
to that bigger achievement. And you have to understand that some days are going to be good and some days are going to be bad. What's something yeah. that, that you maybe, is there any, any practices that you have or any ways that you could help the listeners of um, trying to either like celebrate their wins or like, how, how do you go about trying to be really intentional with your wins as well? Because it is not easy to do whatsoever. No, it's not. And actually I suck at it sometimes. Uh, like no one's ever perfect, but I think one of the things that when I do it and when I do it, well, the thing that works for me is I keep track. Right? Like I have like a sticky, like the sticky note that's on probably everybody's computer. Mm-hmm. And I put down like what my daily things are for that, or like a checklist sometimes in like the mental and like the, the psychological effect of clicking that check mark or zero out of 10 emails sent. And then you put 10 out of 10 like the psychological aspect of you doing that action will give you positive feedback to yourself because you are now done with something you had to do, which is why a lot of people will say like, if you struggle, make checklists and then check it off as soon as you're done. And when you get back for the day and you see all those check marks, you're like, wow, I did a lot today. Like good on me. Yeah. And I literally like, this is what my phone looks like. So I have those check marks as well of, Hey, what do I do like the night before or, or even that morning, right? When I wake up, typically I try to do it the night before of like, what are the most three, the, the three most important things that I need to get done tomorrow? If there's nothing else that I get done, what is that? And I think it goes, do those way, first, right? Do those front load those. I know you said you're, you're big with front loading, get those things done because you don't know, like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I know that that's like a Mike Tyson line, but uh, yeah. what it comes down to it is like, even if you have some 911, some fires that you have to get to, know that once you have that free time, you're going to get back to those things so that at the end of the day, you got those things that are going to push the needle uh, the furthest because we could just get caught up in these little things over time. And just because you're achieving something doesn't mean it's actually equating to something. So what are the yep. biggest things that are going to move the needle the most? Now, let's dive a little bit further into, into I know you mentioned some of the, about the mindset and, and, um, and it sounds like over the course of your of your uh, your upbringing, you had to determine some of that grit. But then you you know, as you mentioned before, you decided that you wanted to go into the military. Were you nervous? Like, what was your mindset like there? Yeah, uh, yes, I was very nervous. It was I could go to college and I could run, or which is what I knew, um, or I could do something that I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to do. Um, hope that my recruiter got me the job that I wanted, uh, pray that I'll make it through boot camp, right? And then also wish to God that when I get out of boot camp, the stars aligned and I get to go to some places that I'd actually want to go. And with that, I like to say is a bunch of fear of the unknown. I was so nervous on the bus riding into Paris Island, like extremely nervous. On the surface, I looked very calm, but on the inside, absolutely not. Why? Well, it's because when you ever take a chance, take a chance on yourself, right? You are inherently making a change that you have absolutely no idea what the outcome will be for your life. I had no idea, right? No idea that after the military, I would be doing sales. I had no idea that I would be successful in the military. The only thing I knew was that for the first time in my life, I was going to go out there independently, make something of myself, and I was going to do everything that I did from that moment forward for me. And when I when I understood that, right, and when I got off the bus at Paris Island, 
all of my nervousness went away. All of it. I'm serious. And the only thing that it turned into was, how do I focus on the next task? Take it day by day. Don't take it week by week. Take it day by day. And then break down that day from, I got to make it to breakfast. Then I got to make it to lunch. And then I got to make it to dinner. Right? And then do it all over again. And so with that, right, and you translate that outside of the military for me, but into the civilian world, how do you take the job that you're in, right, that you're comfortable in, you know everybody, you're friends with the team, you're very comfortable there. Another opportunity presents itself, you're going to be extremely nervous, and that's okay. You should be, because if you weren't nervous, then it's probably not an opportunity that you're looking for, right? The opportunities that are of, uh, let's say, like extreme importance or like a potential for a big change, they're all going to be nerve wracking and they're all going to be a little bit scary, but that's okay. It's human nature. Um, and if you're not nervous or scared, then you're not human. I don't care what you say. Everyone gets nervous. Everyone gets scared. Right. It's just about trusting yourself. Look at yourself. Ask yourself, can I do this? Yes, you can. Okay. Why do I want to do this? Well, it's going to make everything a hell of a lot easier for me. Sounds great then the only thing that you can do from that moment forward is control what you can control. But all the other stuff are just going to fall into place. And if it doesn't, you got to figure out how you're going to handle that later on. Right. I love that. So you're crossing the bridge when you get there, I guess. But how do you, how do you embrace that nervousness in, in reflection, I guess, as well? Like, what you know, you obviously going to, I think you said Paris Island, right? You yep. were super, super nervous. But now moving forward, you've been through that. You conquered that. You went up that mountain and you achieved that. How do you look forward and how do you, what is your best piece of advice on how to embrace that nervousness and, and really telling yourself outside of some of those questions of how could I do this or why do I want to do this? I think the why you're doing it is, is really important. I know I have Simon's yeah. book back here, uh, but how do you embrace the nervousness? Um, I go back to this all the time, but it's just take a step back, right? Where were you before? Well, I wasn't happy. I was falling out of love with running because I was doing it competitively, got hurt, and just my mindset changed. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to actually do. I wasn't in a great situation. I wanted to go make something of myself. And honestly, I was doing everything for anybody besides me. And so I, I made that decision. And when I was really nervous and I was sitting on the bus, I had to literally close my eyes, take a step back and think the future for me is a blank canvas. I can either go into this situation and I can try my damnest or I can make nothing of this. I can be super scared and I can go back to what I was doing before. I'm already here. I might as well take the next step. Got off the bus. Oh my God, man. That is that is so relatable to so many situations in life, whether you're, you're, you're planning on going into the military, whether you have a relative or somebody who is looking to, or just any type of change that ever happens in life. If you're not feeling nervous about a situation, then you're not human, as Mike said. So I yep. love that, Mike. So let's talk a little bit more. So obviously, you've, you know, just looking at your, your LinkedIn, and we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. You've had so many incredible jobs in the military. You spent five years in the United States Marine Corps. Um, just some of your jobs, uh, targeting chief intelligence specialist, um, security manager, intelligence specialist, targeting analyst. I mean, you, and some, from some of our previous conversations as well, 
you've had a lot of experiences where you were you had to work with uh, people above your rank and really focusing on on people who have so much more experience than you. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about how to com- how you would communicate um, to some of your superiors and ultimately how that translates into that new SDR who's 22 years old just coming into sales or that new AE who's trying to sell the a VP of sales on something like what what experience what from your uh, military experience is helping you in sales from that perspective yeah uh, the first thing uh, I guess you could you we could talk about that you kind of hit on is talking to people of senior authority right is what I call it um, well first things first it's daunting right? Like it's daunting to talk to a general. It's daunting to talk to a full word colonel or whoever it is that's in the military mm-hmm. um, because they're likely your boss's boss's boss, right? Um, and in sales, it's daunting for that new SDR or for that AE who hasn't sold into the suite, C-suite before to go and talk to somebody in the C-suite. And so how do you get over that? Well, you have to understand that they're just a person and it's serious. Like they are just a person. They actually don't probably know 90% fake number. I just like to use 90% of the things that you already know. And so like for me, I was in intelligence. So I gave a lot of intelligence and targeting briefs, right? From formations went out, intelligence and targeting briefs. Well, a lot of people would assume that the person that you're talking to, which would be like the commander of your unit, or if you're an SDR and AE, it would be the person you're selling to. Example, you gave VP of sales, right? Or CRO, whatever you want to say. So how do you get over this? Well, you have to understand that they are at such a high level that they only focus mainly on the tech, like the strategic level of things. So they're focused on, this is what my job is for my boss to get to X million revenue or to take out this target. So then their job is, who do I need to deploy and how do I need to deploy them in order to get to this number? And then those managers and who they deployed, it's up to them to figure out all the tactical level stuff. And so sometimes more often than not, when you're ever talking to like this issue, the C-suite person or somebody that's, you know, a decision maker, they actually like to know some of those details because it puts them back into the shoes of the same shoes you're in. And I think that's really what goes into an effective storyteller, right? Is you have to put them into your perspective or you need to go into their perspective, right? Like, they were an AE too. They were an SDR once too, more than likely, right? Like they had to start from somewhere. Everybody did. And so you have to understand that like you're just talking to a future version of yourself. That is amazing. And, and now let's talk a little bit more. I know you mentioned storytelling. Obviously storytelling is something huge in sales. Now there's so many times where you could get caught. You know, you mentioned that the superiors are really focused on those high level high level. Um, main goals and priorities, and maybe not always interested in that tactical. But sometimes to your point, they are interested in that. How do you know how much detail that you should be putting in? Is it more more or less you skim high level and let them pull you down to where they want more info? Or or what are your thoughts there? Yep, exactly that. It's um, what I what I always trained my 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 briefers to in the way that I do it is um, I like to like say I'm I'm briefing or like say that I'm talking to somebody and um, they're thinking about coming to disaster, right? Like I'm going to do enough research on them that I can, that I can answer three levels deep of questions. So if I'm talking about their company, I should be able to answer at least three questions that they can give me that are like more than surface level. So like, who do I assume 
their ICP would be, right? And that's going to go into what I'm talking to them about, like why I think they should be a SASTER. And then like what I assume their next level goals are, like what their goals are in the near or distant future. And then what I'm assuming they want to get out of us, right? And so like when I was briefing in the military, if we're talking about X country, right? And then I get asked, okay, well, on this op, right? Like say it goes bad in X town, what's there? Like I need to be prepared for that. Like I need to be prepared to answer any question that I can think of and then talk a little bit deeper. But sometimes you're overprepared. And I like to say, be overprepared, not underprepared. Yeah. And so how has that experience taught you to overcome objections and even to to think deeper than, <laughs> than what you may necessarily have? Because that alone, that that research and that intelligence background is a directly relatable sales skill, whether you, I mean, you oh, definitely yeah. didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the top relatable scale or skill that I could take out of my military days is uh, forming relationships out of nothing on, a, on like, like on a dime, right? Like you have to be able to gain somebody's trust right away. And like in the military, the risk is life or death. And a lot of times, not always, but in a lot of cases, it's life or death. Right. And it's like, you are now like, you need to fully get somebody to trust you and to listen to what you need that you need them to do or things can go wrong. And sales, for me, it's a lot easier because the risk is nothing. You know what I mean? Like the risk is you tell yeah, me. Yeah, no. somebody, whether you're like, uh, whether you're focused on saving somebody's life or getting hung up on a cold call, it means absolutely nothing. Yeah, right. Like I could care less. Like if you want to open my email and you don't want to reply to it, like, great, good on you. Like I'm not going to lose sleep at the end of the day. And I'm probably not even going to think about it until I do my follow-up with you, <laughs> right? But um that's that's like out of the point. I think like to get to get back to the point, right, is like you have to be able to formulate a relationship with who you're selling to. And the only way to do that is to try to form a partnership, right? Like I say, like salespeople, you should always be looking to form partnerships, but you shouldn't be looking to form a partnership from Saster with X company, right? Like you should be trying to gain a partnership between Mike and Tyler. Right. And that's how you build champions. You don't build champions because they just absolutely love your product and they would don't care who they're talking to. Like, it's just all about that product, product, product. Like, sure, that might happen. But if Mike and Tyler, if you're my champion, doesn't matter where I go, like me and you have that relationship. Right. And like, whether it's just having somebody to talk to or whether it's business level, I mean, that's it's a it's an important relationship to keep. And uh, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they they try to sell and have a I have a decent connection during the meeting, but they don't actually like care to check up on their people. Like how many people do you think that had prospects that are in Tampa or in Florida at all have texted or emailed their prospects saying, how are you doing? Right. And guess what? <laughs> Those I just got the chills with that as well. I mean, hopefully people are doing that. The people that are doing it correctly are going to be. Uh, See, reaping, reaping the benefits and you're not doing it just to, to, to know that you're trying to get something out of it. No, you're doing it to be a good person. You're trying. Yeah. And that's just being a person. Right. And I think that to, to the point of where you mentioned partnerships, it's like, it's crazy to see. I mean, Saster is a perfect example of it. I am super bullish on community led growth. And the reason I believe that is that because these situ these conversations with Mike, for example, like, Hey, we're building a relationship here as well. So after this, and obviously we don't, I don't go into these conversations saying like, oh yeah, this is going to be great for, for this, or I'm going to get this out of it. I'm here for a genuinely yeah. good conversation. 
But understanding that if we have a good conversation and we have good connection and build rapport, then I want to help Mike. How could I help if, if I know somebody who is in this ICP and they would be a good fit for Saster? I'm not even going to question what's Mike's going to get out of it or, or maybe what I would get out of helping Mike. It's just being that good person. Why do you see partnerships as so important outside of that? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I think you you really hit it, right? But building partnerships is so much deeper. Like it's it's like from a level of whatever whatever you need, right? Like if it's a tight-knit partnership between you and me, it could be a personal thing. Like if I can turn to you and I now know that like I can ask you for anything and like you're not going to expect anything in return, like it's literally a friendship and you really can't beat you really can't beat that. And it's like where you can go wrong with it is by asking people who you have formed partnerships with to always do business with each other because that's not a partnership, right? right. Like that's just saying like, hey, let's hook each other up. Like you're going to be my business buddy. A partnership is like, like you said, genuinely looking out for somebody's interest, being a good human being. And honestly, like that's what I strive to be. Every time that I send an email, like I'm just my, I'm myself. I'm a person, you know what I mean? Talking to another person call with you. I'm a person talking to another person. And that's how you form partnerships. And what partnerships branch out into is, in business cases, revenue. And in some cases, it could be, you know, expansions or fixing things that you didn't even know needed to be fixed. A thousand percent, man. It's no secret that you are a genuinely good person from the, the multiple conversations that we had and just the brand that you exude um, on LinkedIn and just what I know about you as well. And please know, Mike, from this conversation, don't ever hesitate to reach out to me uh, if there are any questions. I expect nothing else in return and looking forward to building our, our friendship over time here as well. Now, final question I'd like to ask as we're wrapping up here. Every single guest I love to ask this question, if you were teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? Okay. I would teach uh, overcoming fear of the unknown. Why I would teach that? Because... People are inherently afraid to change. And in a world of instant satisfaction or gratification, like you could call it, um, people get like, like, I mean, just the level of anxiety and the level of depression that can come with, uh, do you go to this school or do you go to that school? Do you join the military or do you go to college? Do you take a, this career or do you take an X career? Um, it's, it's scary nowadays, right? Because people expect to, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into sales. I'm going to instantly find a job. And if I don't instantly find a job, I'm doing something wrong. And what that really is, is just fear of the unknown. And like the ability to take a step back, take some deep breaths, trust yourself and your judgment, and then continue to carry on will take you anywhere you need to go in life. Mike, that is a fantastic answer. I know I mentioned that that was the last question, but one more question. Obviously, uh, love Saster, love the brand that your teams are building. Why would you recommend if somebody was interested um, in in what Saster does, or, or, or maybe why, why should somebody be interested in Saster from your experience and, and what other people have told you? Uh, well, there's two things. Like if, if you're interested in attending or if you're interested in sponsoring, um, if you're interested in attending, it's just, honestly, there's no other better place to make connections. I mean, like we had 10,000 people that were there. Uh, we had an insane amount of CXOs and just honestly, it's anybody that's in B2B SaaS is, is there from, from ed tech that's attending to, you know, the counties of the world and you, you name it, everybody's pretty much got representation. So if you're looking for a job, it's a great place to go. 
need to have a rev, have have an interview or go get interviews on site like it honestly is people do that um, and then from a sponsorship perspective i mean honestly if you're anybody that's in b2b SaaS, like if you're in the cloud space right it, there's just not another place where you're going to get quality leads like you're not going to have you know what i mean like 6000 plus cxos walking around actively shopping like it's the one place where we're vendor agnostic and so you could have HubSpot and you could have Salesforce or Zoho, right? And you could make a decision what's best for you. And the teams get along and the teams understand that. You know what I mean? Like there's the friendly competitive nature, but at the end of the day, it's what's best for you. And then while you're there, your team is learning from endless, endless, endless amounts of talks. I mean, you're talking like CEOs of companies who are teaching you how to scale revenue organizations and how to get from X million to X million dollars. Like, it's just an endless amount of, of learning. After the three days that you're there, you feel like you learned six years worth of stuff. You know, I mean, your whole team will level up, to be honest. That's amazing, Mike. Thank you so much for that. Where can people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I try to post every day, but I don't know. <laughs> Happens, sometimes it doesn't. And then honestly, like, I don't have any other social media. So it's a LinkedIn or it's email. And if you want to email me, I mean, it's on my LinkedIn. So, so hit Mike up on his LinkedIn, Mike. Thank you so much. Of course. See you Tyler. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.